We welcome you to the Tabernacle Podcast, brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit our website, tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. You can find other sermons like this one on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. It is our prayer that God has used this message to be an encouragement to your heart. Let's open the Bible again, would you please, to the book of Jonah. Jonah chapter number 1. This morning we jumped right in the middle of the book. And I, I spoke to you today on this subject, Something Has to Change. Tonight I want to speak to you on this subject, Some Things Never Change. We're living in a changing world. Uh, I'm sure I'm sounding like an old man now, but... I never dreamed I would see some of the changes we are seeing currently. Uh, We live long enough, our bodies change. And all God's people said, amen, some more than others, right? Uh, Finances change. Family life changes. Your kids grow up. Things move on. We're living in changeable days, and we ourselves are changing, but there are some things that never change. Would you look, please, at the first word of the book? Isn't it amazing how much truth you can find in one word of the word? Jonah 1, verse 1. What's the first word, church? Would you mark that in your Bible now? It's actually a Hebrew conjunction. Forgive me, kids, for using a dirty word in the middle of summer, but it is a conjunction in the Hebrew language, and it implies that this is not the beginning of the story and that this is not the end of the story. This is just another chapter in the story. In fact, I wish you had time to walk you through the Old Testament and show you how many of these books begin in a similar fashion because in reality, we, we think, well, this is my life. This is, this is my story. This is our family. This, this is our church. No, no, friends. You are a part of a mosaic. You're a part of a giant picture. You can't see the whole thing right now. Our God sees the end from the beginning. We just live our little part. We live in our little time, but the eternal God is continuing to write the story of eternal redemption, and we have our moment. So when you come to this book, though it stands alone in Jonah's life, though it stands alone in our thinking, I want you to understand that not only does the book connect to all the rest of Scripture, but Jonah's experience connects to all of our lives Now, this prophecy is not for us. Any Ninevites here tonight? Just curious. Anybody here from Nineveh? Mm -mm. Uh, There may be a a Jewish person among us, but I I doubt seriously there are any Israelites here among us tonight. The reality is when you come to a book like Jonah, and I hear people say, that's Old Testament. Brother, I'm going to tell you, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. Somebody said, "You, you believe the Old Testament or the New Testament? Both. You don't pick one. It's all the Word of God. And though this prophecy is not for us, the principles are because these are eternal truths, and I say again, some things never change. Before we walk through this, I want you to get a pen out tonight. Would you please, everybody, find something to write with and something to write on. You can use your bulletin or uh, a blank page in your Bible or something. I want you to make a list tonight because I want you to meditate on them. And when we get done tonight, I'm going to ask you to do something with the list that you write down. Let's begin in verse number 1 where the Bible says, Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the son of Amittai, 
saying. Let's just stop there. That's a good principle. Write this one down, number one. Remember I said some things never change. You might want to write that in big, bold boxcar letters across the top of your paper. And then underneath it, write down this, number one. God is still speaking to people. Do you believe God still speaks? He certainly does. I've never had a vision in the middle of the night. Well, I have had some visions in the middle of the night, but it wasn't the Lord. But I've never seen the Lord like Saul did on the road to Damascus. I've never heard the voice of God like Samuel did in the middle of the night. I've never uh, prayed out of the belly of a great fish in the middle of the, the sea like Jonah did. But I want you to know that God is still speaking to people. And how does he speak? Look at verse number one. God always speaks through his word. People say they want to hear from God. Well, have you read your Bible this week? In fact, sometimes people put that pressure on the preacher. They come to a church house and they say, oh, we sure hope we hear from God tonight. My friend, you can hear from God, not just tonight. You can hear from God every day if you'll open the Word and then open your heart to the voice of Almighty God. The Holy Spirit will speak to you through the Word of the living God. The question is not, is God speaking? The question is, are we listening? In fact, look at chapter 3, verse number 1. I like it. And, there we go again, connecting it. And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time. I wonder sometimes how many times God's going to have to speak before we actually start listening. Might I just ask you a personal question tonight? Is there anything God's been trying to say to you that you've not been listening to? Anything the voice of the Lord is trying to get through and break through. And every time you come to church, it doesn't matter what the preacher's preaching on. It doesn't matter what sermon series he's in. It doesn't matter what part of the Bible you're in. Suddenly, it's just like that's what the Lord keeps zeroing in on. Well, you, might, you might pay attention because it could just be the Lord, Jonah, is trying to speak to you about something. The sad reality in the book of Jonah is that God spoke to the sea and it obeyed and God spoke to the waves and it obeyed and God spoke to the fish and it obeyed and God spoke to the gourd and it obeyed and God spoke to the plant and it obeyed and God spoke to the sun and it obeyed and God spoke to Jonah and he had to speak and speak and speak to finally get it through his thick skull and hardened heart. And I say to you, some things never change. God is still trying to speak to people. Keep reading. Look, chapter 1, verse number 2, arise. Go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness is come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee into Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Mark that in your Bible if you haven't already. And went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare thereof and went down into it to go with him into Tarshish. Mark it a second time, from the presence of the Lord. Look at verse number 10. He's on the boat now in the storm. And the men, exceedingly afraid, said unto him, Why hast thou done this? For the men knew that he fled, would you mark it a third time, from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. What is the presence of the Lord? Well, the reality is God's everywhere. There's no place on this planet where you can go that God's not there. And when you show up, God was there before you got there. God will be there while you're there, and God will stay after you're gone. What do you think of that? And if you're a child of God, he lives in your heart, that means everywhere you go, you carry the Lord with you. So I don't care how far you run, how far you go, you cannot escape the goodness and mercy of God because he promised he would never leave you and he would never forsake you. So if that is true, what does it mean that this man was running from the presence of the Lord? Please don't miss this. 
The presence of the Lord is simply the place where God wants every one of his children to live. It's not geographical, people. It's spiritual. It has really nothing to do with the location here. That's not what it's about. The presence of the Lord is that place where you are in fellowship with Almighty God and there's nothing between you and the Lord. Are you living there tonight? How long has it been since you were really in the presence of the Lord? Would you write down a second truth that never changes? And not only is it true that God is still speaking to people, but too many of the Lord's people are running from God. Life is directional. Every person in this room is either running toward God or from God at this moment. Everybody. In eternity, people are going one of two places. Somebody said heaven or hell. I think, I think sometimes even in the use of these terms, we miss the whole point. You know what makes heaven heaven? God's there. You all know what makes hell hell? It's not just fire and darkness, though that's there. It is the fact that, that God's presence is not in that place. You're separated from God forever. In eternity, every soul is either going toward the Lord or from the Lord. But what is true in eternity of lost men is true in time of every one of us. You are either drawing nearer to God or you are drifting from him. You remember, I alluded to it this morning, Adam, where art thou? God didn't ask because he didn't know. He knew right where he was. He knew what figs and fig leaf he had taken to make a little apron. He knew exactly what tree in the garden he was hiding behind. It's laughable to think you can hide from the presence of Almighty God and the all-seeing eyes of the Lord. God wasn't asking for information. He was asking for confession. I'm going to tell you what I believe. I believe it was the first time that the voice of God came through that garden. And Adam didn't run toward the voice. I think to that day, every time he heard Adam, Adam leaped for joy and thought, the Creator's here. I can't wait to commune with him. I can't, I can't wait to hear what he has to say to me today, what he has to show me today. Oh, the adventure. Can you imagine the adventure of living in that garden with unbroken fellowship with God? But suddenly, when sin entered into that garden and sin entered into the heart of man and woman, it brought a wedge between that person and God. Some things never change. Far too many of the Lord's people are running from him instead of running to him. Keep reading. Look at verse number four. The Lord sent out a great wind into the sea. There arose a mighty tempest in the sea so that the ship was like to be broken. Then the mariners were afraid. Now I want you to pay real close attention to the mariners. They cried, every man to his God. They're not saved men. They're idolaters. They cast forth the wares that were in the ship into the sea to lighten it of them. But Jonah was gone down into the sides of the ship. And he lay and was fast asleep. So the shipmaster came to him and said unto him, What meanest thou, O sleeper? Whew, that's convicting. You got a ship full of lost men getting ready to drown. And the one Christian, the one believer on board is thoroughly asleep. I'm going to tell you what we are. We're on a sinking vessel right now. You're living on the Titanic right now. The whole world is going under, and people are about to perish in their sin and drown in their own iniquity and be lost forever, and too many of the Lord's people are asleep. 
What meanest thou, O sleeper? Arise, call upon thy God. If so be that God will think upon us that we perish not. And they said, Everyone to his fellow, Come, let us cast lots that we may know for whose cause this evil is upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell upon Jonah. Then said they unto him, Tell us, we pray thee. Look at this carefully, verse 8. For whose cause this evil is upon us? What is thine occupation? Whence comest thou? What is thy country? Of what people art thou? They're interrogating. He said to them, I am an Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, which hath made the sea and the dry land. Then were the men exceedingly afraid and said unto him, Why hast thou done this? Look at verse 11. Then said they unto him, What shall we do unto thee that the sea may be calm unto us? Would you write down a third truth? Some things never change. You ready? Number three. Lost men are still seeking for answers. I don't know how I've read through this book so many times and missed this. Did you know the mariners ask eight different questions of Jonah? Now you think about that just a second. You got one preacher on board. He's backslidden. He's away from God. He's not where he ought to be. But he still represents the truth, and he still knows the God of truth. And he got all these idolaters uh, living on this ship with him at this juncture, and they want to know the answers to the questions. Eight different questions. I'm going to tell you that we're living in a world right now where people are searching. If ever there was a time that God's people need to stop sleeping in the bow of the ship and cowering in a corner and being tentative about their faith and hesitant about the truth. It is the generation we're living in right now because outside these walls, there's a whole nation, a whole world full of people who are looking for somebody that knows God and has the answer to the questions. Some things never change. It doesn't mean that you have to have all of the answers, but it means this, if you can point them to the God who has the answers, that will be enough. It's interesting to me that even through this backslidden preacher, this group of people will come to fear the Lord. Look down to verse number 16. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice unto the Lord and made vows. Oh, oh, that God somehow would awaken all the Jonas to get up out of the ship and get off the pillar and begin to speak truth again and answer the questions again and confess who God is again so that a world full of people who are looking for answers will become true worshipers of the one true and living God. Some things never change. Keep reading, please. Look at chapter 2. Then Jonah prayed unto the Lord his God out of the fish's belly. Look at verse 10. And the Lord spake unto the fish, and it vomited out Jonah upon the dry land. Write this one down. God still answers prayer. Do you actually believe God still answers prayer? Let's try that one one more time. Do you believe God still answers prayer? then what have you been praying for this week? See, the reality is we, we, we give God a nod and we, we give mental assent to it all. Oh, yeah, preacher, I believe God answers prayer. Good. Have you had any answers to prayer in the last week? No, I mean, like, what are you trusting God for tonight? Why are we praying such little prayers to such a big God and such genero, generic, genero, excuse me, generic general prayers to a God who wants to answer specifically and definitely. What has happened to us that God's people have the idea because the world is so bad, we can no longer get our prayers answered? There are people in this room who've prayed for decades for the salvation of some soul. You know what the devil's trying to get you to stop doing right now? Stop praying. 
I want you to know, at the very moment where you're tempted through the weakness of your own flesh to let up, usually that means you're on the verge of a breakthrough. That is not the time to let up. That's the time to intensify your prayers and press into the presence of Almighty God. God still says, call unto me and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. God still says that he's able to do exceeding abundantly above all we could ask or even think according to his power that works inside of us. And if we truly believe that God still hears and answers prayer, then I don't care what storm you're in, what boat you've been thrown out of, what waves are crashing over your head, what fish you're sitting in the middle of right now, what bottom of the ocean you feel like you've drifted to, God has his eye on you. He has every hair on your head number. His ear is open to your prayer. And our God still hears and answers prayer. Some things never change. Come to chapter 3, look at verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time saying, Arise, go into Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. So Jonah arose and went into Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceeding great city of three days' journey. And Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey, and he cried and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Would you write this one down? Wicked men are still headed for judgment. you got to put yourself in Jonah's sandals for a moment to understand and appreciate his attitude. He was a patriot. Are there any patriots among us tonight? Anybody love your country? I do. And Jonah was such a patriot that all he could see when he saw the Ninevites were the enemy. But when God saw them, he didn't see them just as Israel's enemy. He saw them as eternal souls. I think one of the great dangers at this particular juncture is that if you're not careful, you can begin to look at people by, by their political persuasion or, or their background or their ethnicity, their, their, their ideology, and you start looking at them through that prism instead of seeing them like God sees them. Let me tell you who they are. They're just a bunch of sinners like we are. And but for the grace of God... We'd all be lost. You ever, you ever stop long enough to think about where you were when you got saved and where you would be if you hadn't gotten saved? But for the grace of God, we'd all be right there on our way to eternal judgment. And I think right now some of God's people need to take a long, hard look at their neighbors again. And the people on the job and the people they see on the news broadcast and the people of, of nat, in the nat, national spotlight. And we need to stop and recognize that those people are loved by God, that Jesus died for every one of them, and somebody's got to get them the truth because lost men are still headed for judgment. I tell you, there is a passion greater than patriotism. And I'm for patriotism. Jonah had the patriotism down, but he had missed the passion of God. What is the passion of God? The passion of God is not for one nation, it's for every nation. The passion of God is not for some people, it's for all people. Let me tell you the passion of God. Christ came to seek and to save that which was lost. It's not God's will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He's long-suffering to all. Why? Because he's giving us time to repent and come to Christ. I say to you, we got to hit the reset button again in our thinking and start seeing people like God does because they're all still headed for judgment. They had how long? How many days, class? How many days? 
I think it's 136 times in the Scripture 40 days is used as a designation. That's fascinating. You should study it out because almost every time it's used, it's a period of probation. It's a period of, of testing or of trial. In other words, it's like God says, all right, we're going to turn the, the, the time over and we're going to watch you for 40 days and see what happens at the end of 40 days. God gave them 40 days and at the end of 40 days, there was judgment. Let me tell you something more sobering than that. We don't know how many days we have left. You know, we're all making our plans for the future, and that's all right as long as you include God in those plans and as long as you remember that those plans may never come to fruition because the Lord may call for you or come for us before any of that happens. Do you understand the next great thing on God's calendar is the rapture of the church? I don't know what you got planned this week. I got plans this week too, but Jesus may come before Monday morning the sun ever comes over the horizon. We've got to start living more for eternity than we do for time. Because some things never change. Let me give you another one. Keep reading, would you please? Look at verse number five. So the people of Nineveh believed God. It's better than you can say for Jerusalem, isn't it? They believed God, proclaimed a fast, put on sackcloth from the greatest of them even to the least of them. And we read and studied all the way down through verse number 10. They repented and God turned his anger away from them. Would you write this one down, please? Some things never change. The preaching of the truth still brings fruit. I want to tell you, I'm not traveling for my health. Right now, I'm in a little marathon, and anybody that travels knows what that's like. Somebody said to me the other day, you must really love travel. I laughed at them. If you travel this much, you're not doing it because you love travel. I'm going to tell you, I believe this. I believe that in every place where I go, if I will just give God's word, God will do something. I didn't come to preach good sermons to you today. I didn't come to impress you today. I came to do this. God gave me his word, and God said, this is what you're to preach, and I'm just delivering the word of God. And here's what I've discovered. There is still power in the word of Almighty God. There is a penetrating influence the Holy Scripture, it, it still divides asunder soul and spirit. It's still a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. You give the word and the Holy Ghost of truth will do the rest. Somebody say, well, that's good for you, preacher. No, no, I'm making an application to all of us tonight. Grab you a handful of gospel tracts on your way out of this building. Arm yourself with the gospel this week. Don't, don't just go about your business. Be on the Lord's business this week. Don't just go to work. Be in God's work this week. What would happen if this many people, this is a lot of believers on a Sunday night. Pastor, I wonder what would happen if this many people this week got serious about just speaking God's word that they've heard today and sharing it with somebody else and passing it on. I'll tell you what would happen. God would work. And there'd be a ripple effect of what we've seen on this Lord's Day. Why? Because every time you give the truth, the God of truth uses it in somebody's heart. Keep reading. Let's get another one. Look at chapter 4. But, this is crazy. It displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry. Pastor, if you had a meeting and the whole city of Hickory got saved, would you be happy? Yeah. I mean, this is like a preacher's dream. He comes to town, he only has one sermon. Forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. 
He preaches it. The king gets right with God, and everybody in the city turns to the Lord. How many of you think that sounds like a spiritual awakening? I mean, wouldn't it make sense when you get to chapter 4, it's like, and Jonah praised God and said, oh, Lord, I'm so glad I listened to you. Mm -mm. No, Jonah sits down starts pouting and says, God didn't do it my way. And we look at him and shake our head and say, how foolish. Wait a minute now. We do the same thing. Keep reading. Look at verse 2. And he prayed unto the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? See all the my's here? Forget your saying. Forget your country. Forget your ideas. What's God up to? Therefore I fled before in the Tarshish, for I knew, this is, this is almost comical, I knew that thou art a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness and repentance of the evil. I don't know about you. That doesn't sound like a criticism to me. That sounds like a great compliment. Imagine looking at God and saying, I can't believe how kind you are. Lord, I can't believe you'd be gracious to those sinners. Look at verse 3. Therefore now, O Lord, take, I beseech thee, my life from me. Did he really say this? For it is better for me to die than to live. Then said the Lord, doest thou well to be angry? Would you write this one down? Some things never change. Far too many of God's people are distracted at this moment. Far too many of God's people right now are still distracted by what's going on around them and what they think on the inside. It's very easy to get consumed with your own agenda and ideas, to get so concerned about what you think needs to be done. And pardon me, even about your own comfort Keep reading. Look at verse number 5. So Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city, and there made him a booth and sat under it in the shadow till he might see what would become of the city. And the Lord God prepared a gourd and made it to come up over Jonah that it might be a shadow over his head to deliver him from his grief. So Jonah was exceeding glad of the gourd. Isn't it funny what we get excited about? No, no wait a minute. Let's put this in perspective just a second. I'm not picking on Jonah. This is, this is us, you see. So you get a new car. And nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with being excited about it. But we get so excited about getting new stuff. And did it ever dawn on you, though, the man you bought it from has an eternal soul and no one's ever bothered to tell him about Jesus. We get a raise at work. Great, great. Congratulations. It's wonderful. Enjoy it. But it never crosses our mind to think how we could connect that to what God is up to in this world. You can tell a lot about a man by what makes him sad, what makes him glad, and what makes him mad. And Jonah's telling on himself because he's ticked off that God delivered a city and he's happy because a plant came up to shield him from the sun. I don't know about you. That sounds to me like a man with his priorities out of order. You know what Jonah's doing for me right now? Jonah, th this book, is searching my priorities a little bit and saying, don't you think you ought to get some things back in the right order to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and let all the other things be added unto you. Leave all the rest of the details in God's hand, but let's get ourselves back where we ought to be in line with God's great priority. Some things never change. Keep reading verse 7, but God prepared a worm on the morning rose the next day and it smote the gourd that it withered. 
It came to pass when the sun did arise that God prepared a vehement east wind and the sun beat upon the head of Jonah that he fainted and wished in himself to die and said, it is better for me to die than live. That's twice now. That's twice he said, better to die than to live. And God said to Jonah, doest thou well to be angry for the gourd? And he said, I do well to be angry even unto death. By the way, that's where anger always leads to eventually. It always puts to death every joy and every blessing and every good thing. We have too many angry Christians right now. I've had to guard myself a little bit, even my consumption of news. You all know one of the number one enemies of your spirit? Conservative news. I didn't say liberal news. I said conservative news. Because just because they're conservative doesn't mean they're Christian. And just because they're reporting on the news doesn't mean they're giving you the divine perspective. And if you're not careful, you'll watch all the junk going on in this world and get so worked up and angry that you start responding in the flesh and your flesh is no better than their flesh. The wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. And here is Jonah full of anger. I want to just tell you something. If you're living right now full of anger, you're not full of the Holy Spirit of God because the fruit of the Spirit is not anger. It is love and joy and peace and long-suffering and gentleness and goodness and faith and meekness and temperance. Some things never change. And so we have to come back to the Lord again and again and say, Lord, I need an attitude adjustment. May I ask all the moms and dads, how many of you ever had to help your kids get an attitude adjustment? Would you raise your hand? Well, the Heavenly Father has to do that with all of His children sometimes. And it's not just the young ones among us that need it, no. Sometimes it's the preacher that needs it because some things never change. And then you come to the final two verses, and this is, I think, the divine exclamation point on the whole thing. Then said the Lord, Thou hast had pity on the gourd, for the which thou hast not labored, neither madest it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. And would you hear the heart of God in verse 11? It seems an odd way to end the book, but it really is not. It really is one of the most precious, tender revelations of the love of God in all of Scripture. Look at verse 11. And should not I spare Nineveh, that great city, by the way, that word great is used through the whole book. Can I tell you what's really great? Souls are great. We talk about great men. Look at me, please. There's no such thing as great men. There's just a great God. We say life's great. Oh, friends, eternity's great. Dear Lord, help me start thinking things are little that are little. Help me start thinking things that are great, that are truly great. Help me start seeing from heaven's perspective. Hear God say, look at that great city. What makes it great? The prosperity? No. Look at it. We're in or more than six score thousand persons that cannot discern between their right hand and their left hand. I, I used to wonder, what is that? That's 120,000, but what is that? Can't discern between their right hand and their left hand. That's little babies. That's little children. This church right now, you all had an explosion of little babies, haven't you? I mean, good night. The nursery's going to take over this church shortly. I've never seen so many babies in my life. But imagine a city so great. Think how big that city was. They had 120,000 little children that were so young they couldn't know the difference between their right hand and their left hand. And God Almighty looked down on all those little children that were getting ready to perish. And God saw all those young families. And God said to Jonah, don't you get it? You're upset over a plant? You're aggravated over the sun? 
You're angry because I didn't do it your way. Don't you know I love them like I love you? Some things never change. Write the last one down, would you please? The Lord still wants to demonstrate his love in this world. In a world filled with violence, that's what the Ninevites were. In a world filled with anger, that's, that's what the Assyrians were. God said, I want to penetrate it with my pity. I want to demonstrate my compassion. Jonah, I don't want you just to know I'm merciful. I want them to know I'm merciful. I want to show my love in this world. And notice the unusual ending of the book. He even mentions the animals. <laughs> you hear the heart of the Creator God who loves all things. He said, and also much cattle. I want to tell you right now, you're not living in Jerusalem anymore. You're living in Nineveh. Welcome to Nineveh. A city full of idolatry and immorality and wickedness on every hand. And we can fuss at the darkness and complain about how bad it is if we want to. Or we can start saying to the Lord, Lord, would you put your heart in us? Would you let us see with your eyes? Would you let us think with your mind? Would you let us feel with your heart? When was the last time we wept for souls? You know what I find striking? The only people fasting and praying in the book were lost people. The Ninevites, they finally got serious. They started fasting and praying. Why wasn't Jonah fasting and praying? No, no, let's not pick on Jonah. Why aren't we fasting and praying? What's happened to our tears and our compassion and our, our pity for the lost? When was the last time you had such a burden for the salvation of some soul that you went to bed with it and got up with it? We, we found a comfortable way to live. That's what Jonah was consumed with, his own comfort and his own enjoyment and his own quality of life. But he missed what really mattered, and that was the salvation of lost souls. And I say to you, I think God put this in the Bible and left it here for us because some things never change. And 150 years later, Nahum will take pen in hand. How many of you know the little book of Nahum? You ought to go home and read it tonight. Same city, different story. 150 years later, Nineveh finally rejects God utterly, and God brings the judgment he intended to bring in the book of Jonah. You hear me? I don't know when our country is going to get all the wrath of God. I think we're under some of the judgment now. I don't know when this world is going to come to a screeching halt and God's going to call time. I don't know when that's going to be, but I know this. God has given us this little window. God has given us this little moment, and we must not miss our moment. We must not be so consumed with us that we miss him, so concerned about our little four and no more that we miss his heart for all people. Oh, Lord, may the God of eternity, who is always the same, put his heart back into his people. Because someday the judgment's coming. And nobody likes this kind of preaching. I get it. Let a preacher come and make you laugh and everybody says that was pleasant, that was enjoyable. We really like that. We don't need sermons we can enjoy. We need the kind of preaching that brings us near to God again and gives us a glimpse of eternity. Because some things never change. Solomon said that which was, is, that which has been, shall be. There is no new thing under the sun. And I tell you, if the wisest man that ever lived knew that, maybe it would be wisdom for us to return to it again ourselves.
Thank you for listening. We pray that God has used his word to speak to you today. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit us online at tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. There, you'll find additional information about our church, opportunities to partner with us financially, as well as other resources that we hope can be a help to you. May God bless you, and thank you once again for listening.